Pastor Adam Lavecki here. This is a sermon live from Rescue Church. We hope it blesses you. Yeah, so it's an honor to be with you today. It was great to be here yesterday for those who were here. Um, uh, If you have the opportunity to go on Facebook and check out the messages from yesterday, I'd encourage you to do that. Um, I shared on Romans 8 yesterday. Um, A bunch of revelation the Lord's been giving me on that. So uh, please go check that out. Um, For those who were here yesterday, I'm not going to preach that same message but actually I kind of am, but with completely different language, scriptures, stories, and everything else. So uh, top secret ninja information for you. Preachers really only have a couple messages. They just preach them 10 different ways. And so that's kind of true with me a little bit too. Um, and so, uh, so we're gonna dive in today. So as Adam said, I came up with three of my kids, my three middle kids, um, my wife, um, Rebecca uh, is back in Maryland, uh, along with our oldest, uh, Noella, and also our baby girl, who's 10 months old. So we uh, decided to divide and conquer a little bit. Um, Noella needed a break from her younger siblings, so uh, it's been good. They've been having a great time down there, so we heard the Lord. It was good. Um, As Adam said, there's information on the back table if you want to get to know us a little more. There's three different brochures. Be free to pick them up. Uh, They're printed, so, um, you know, that's sunk cost right there. So you guys might as well take them and take them home with you. I don't want to take them back to Africa with me. Um, So you can check that out. There's opportunities to travel with us to Africa on mission trips next year. I know um, Adam is likely going to come in October to West Kilimanjaro uh, when we're among the Maasai. And so it'd be great to have some people from here come. Um, but we'll be in Zambia in May and in central Kenya in July as well. And so uh, the door is open. Um, so there, that's all the advertisements. All right. So, uh, so this is going to be interesting today. I got an idea as I was praying about what to share. So I'm going to kind of do two half messages and put them together. So we're going to see if this is going to work. Um, I think it will. I have faith for it. I hope you do too. Um, and so I'm going to start off today, um, I'm going to talk about ecclesia. Um, and uh, how many people have heard that term before? Okay. So ecclesia is the Greek word that Jesus used that is translated to church. Okay. So you find it like in Matthew 16, 18, 19. And I say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, my ecclesia. And the gates of Hades shall not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So what does this mean? Where did this word come from? Did Jesus just make it up? Did he uh, pull a Paul? You know, Paul made up a couple Greek words uh, in his writings. Um, Or or is there history with this word? Was this word around 2,000 years ago in the Roman culture, in the Roman language? And so if we, do, if we study it out a little bit, we find out that ecclesia uh, was a word that already existed. Jesus didn't invent this word, but he was actually borrowing a Roman concept um, to bring forth the idea of what the church is and who the church should be. So what is ecclesia? Well, the Roman ecclesia was an assembly of people 
in a given city or nation that was deputized by the emperor to introduce and implement the laws and the language and the culture of the empire, of the Roman Empire. The goal was it was a citizenship of Romans in a given area that would help Romanize the areas where they were living because that's what the Roman Empire did. Wherever they went and conquered, they would Romanize those areas, strip away their cultures, customs, and beliefs, and they would try to transform them into Romans. So that is the concept behind Ecclesia. All right? It's similar to apostolos, right? Apostle. You know what, where that comes from. That wasn't a word that Jesus or Paul created. But an apostle was a Roman general who would come into a conquered area whose goal was to Romanize it and make everyone Romans. So that gives you an idea, and that's the idea Jesus used when talking about apostles. Transform culture. Make it look like heaven on earth. That's being apostolic. That's being an apostle among many other things, and there's many big discussions on that in Christendom. I don't really care. What I really care about is are we transforming cultures and seeing people transform so that heaven comes to earth and earth looks like heaven. If you're doing that, you're being apostolic. If you're not, playing church. I don't know. So, so Jesus didn't invent these words. He didn't invent ecclesia. Uh, it already existed. But as you see, as we read in Matthew 16, 18, he said, and you will be my ecclesia. By using the word my ecclesia, he, he references with his disciples that there are two ecclesias. There's the secular one that is under the influence of evil, of demonic powers that are setting up um, strongholds in our societies and our cultures. But then there's his ecclesia that he is setting up. So by the virtue of both being in existence, it means that there is a conflict between the two. Because when you have two kingdoms that come against each other, it's war. Right? Like the Knicks and the Bulls in the early 90s. It was war. And we beat you guys nearly every single time. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> if there's any Knicks fans. We're in New Jersey. I'd make a Nets joke, but let's not do that. I'm sorry. Um, and so anyway, um, so there's this, there's this battle between these two ecclesias. There's a kingdoms in conflict. You know, we see in... Uh, uh, Revelation 11.5 it says the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he will reign forever and ever that's not a future verse for some millennial age that's a verse that's already been declared a prophetic word that's already been declared 2000 years ago and so we are in this process now where the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. And so we're in this season where all of those kingdoms are coming underneath the kingship of Jesus Christ. And we are the agents of bringing those things underneath. Because we are his ecclesia. And there's conflict. But the good news is, it says in Romans 8.37, we are overwhelmingly victorious in Christ Jesus. 
So we should be used to victory. We are victorious people with a victory that's already won, and we are implementing this victory wherever we go. So get used to victory. Get used to winning. We're winners. You're a winner. So set your expectation that way. Set your hope that way and set your faith that way because that is what God is doing in the world. The cross was an incredible victory that continues to get enforced throughout the ages since then. I really should say the empty tomb. That's where the biggest victory is found. So this is a promise for us today. We're overwhelmingly victorious. Just like the prophecy of Habakkuk, right? The knowledge of the glory of the Lord shall cover the earth as the water covers the seas. That's a promise. That's a prophetic promise to us today. That should help set our expectation as his ecclesia as to what God wants to do in this hour and in this season. The knowledge of the glory of the Lord shall cover the earth as the waters cover the seas. That means the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will be everywhere on this planet. That's what God's doing in this hour. He's not sucking out His glory. He's releasing it across this whole planet, and it's coming through His children, His people, His ecclesia. So let's raise our level of expectation about what's possible. Because it says in uh, Mark 9.23, all things are possible for those who believe. Jesus Himself said, greater things than these shall you do in John 14.12. It says in 1 John 4.17, as he is in this world, we shall be like him. So what does that mean? Well, let's look at that. Let's go back to the beginning. So keep your finger right there. We're going to come back to Ecclesia. But we shall be like him. So let's go back to Genesis 1. We see the commission in the garden to humankind. Well, let's do the whole little section. God says, this is verse 26, Genesis 1. Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, two genders. There wasn't three or any more. There's two. Selah. If I offended you, you're in the right place. (laughs) He created them, and God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and rule over it. Fill the earth, subdue it, and rule over it. Rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over every other living thing that moves on the earth. And then God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of the earth, and every tree which has fruit yielding seed, it shall be food for you. And every beast of the earth and every bird of the sky, to everything that moves on the earth which has life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And so you see, God created us in His image. And it says, if you move into chapter 2, we see that God invites humans into partnership with stewarding His creation. We see in verse 19 of chapter 2 that God invites Adam to come and name the animals. That's an invitation for participation in his creation. And that invitation for participation has never been rescinded. 
That original call and commission still exists for us today to participate in his creation. And as I taught yesterday in Romans 8, the goal is to set the creation right. It's not God's responsibility. It's what he's given us to do to set the creation right. And how is that set right? By um, being his children, there's a glorification that comes on his children. And it says in Romans 8 that when that glorification happens to the children, that will be the liberation of creation that has been subjected to slavery, to sin and corruption. It's not the second coming. I mean, you could almost say, no, I don't want to unpack that theologically. But it's our coming which will set the creation right and set it free from slavery to decay. That's what Paul says in Romans 8. So, back to Genesis. We are created in his image. Now, this is interesting. So, a few, ver few chapters later, mankind is kind of flourishing on the earth. They're growing but we also have to remember they are unregenerate. The Holy Spirit has not been given to them. So they're, they're doing the best they can with what, what they have. Um, and so they get this idea in Genesis 11. They say, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower who will top, whose top will reach to heaven. And let us make for ourselves a name, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the earth. Now, there's a lot in that little statement that early humans spoke there. They're trying to make a name for themselves, which is always a problem when you're trying to make a name for ourselves because it's God who names us. It's God who created us. It's God who formed and fashioned us. So when we try to step outside of his plan and his ideas to make a name for ourselves, we're always going to end up in error. And as we're about to find out, it's going to end in catastrophe. So there's that going on. They wanted to build a tower to ascend to the heavens, to ascend where God is. What that's really symbolizing is they wanted to make themselves equal with God, which is always a form of idolatry, the worship of self. They were self-centered, narcissistic. So they were looking to themselves to find meaning and purpose when that always comes from our Creator. The creator always imbues identity and purpose to its creation. It's not the other way around. How can the clay tell the, the, the potter what it is? It's the potter who forms and fashions it. So they had this symbol, this tower that they were building. It's the symbol of humanity. It's a symbol of selfishness, of self-centeredness, of humanism. And it's a direct disobedience to God's command to fill the earth. And so the reason they were motivated for this, as we see, is they did not want to be scattered abroad over the whole earth. For some reason, they had fear. They didn't believe that God was good and that there would be fruitfulness in this. But they were motivated by fear. Now, here's a free one. Are you ready? When you're motivated by fear, you will bring about your very fears into existence by being motivated by fear. So they were fearful of being scattered over the earth. And so what happens when God comes down and sees them moving in according to their own strength, according to um, their own desires, trying to cast God aside? They, he confuses their language and they get scattered over the whole earth anyway. Their fear 
empowered by believing and putting faith in their fear, it empowered the fear to come into existence. It's still the same today. That's a free one. Do not empower your fear by being motivated by it and then um, putting faith to it. So here's interesting. So God comes down, he sees all this, says in um, uh, verse 6, the Lord visited and saw what they were doing and said this. Now this is one thing I want us to grasp. Behold, they are one people, and they all have the same language. And this is what they began to do, and now nothing which they purpose will be impossible for them. Now, that is an incredible declaration by God. That is unregenerate man. They don't have the Holy Spirit. They haven't been sanctified. Jesus hasn't come yet. They have not been born again. But seeing humanity in one accord, God makes a declaration that now nothing shall be impossible for them. So if that... If the impossible is possible for unregenerate man when they come together, what can truly be possible when a bunch of born-again, spirit-filled believers with the mind of Christ come together in one accord? What can be possible? Maybe we need to start dreaming about this. I dream about this stuff. I've heard stories of the past of things that are possible you study the healing revivals from 80 years ago, they would lay hands on hospital walls and everyone would be healed. Jesus! (laughs) New technologies, new energies, new forms of communication, new ways to educate. Uh, Incredible food production, clean water, environmental. It doesn't matter. Like all these things are possible for those who believe. But God had to break up their unity at that time because of its potential for great destruction. Because they weren't clothed with the mind of Christ. They had an unregenerate mind. And so in mercy and in grace, God broke them up so they didn't destroy themselves. So he confused their language and scattered them over the earth. But that call and commission still exists to rule and subdue the earth, to steward the earth. Jesus is known as the second Adam or the last Adam. Jesus is the prototype of what is possible. See, Adam was given dominion to rule and to reign. And Jesus demonstrated this dominion when he walked the earth. He was a supernatural being. He was fully flesh, fully human, but also fully God at the same time. But we need, one thing we need to understand, and this is important, it's its own message. Everything Jesus did, he did as a human, as a man. And this is a very important distinction. Pastor Adam can unpack that for you in subsequent messages. But if he did everything he did as God, it's really great and amazing, but there's no value for us. 
He did everything he did as a human, fully subjected to Holy Spirit, fully yielded to Holy Spirit, living a supernatural lifestyle. And as he lived, he superseded natural law because he's a supernatural being and so are we. We're filled with the Spirit of God. The laws of nature do not have to apply to us. All the different things Jesus did. Matthew 17 commanded fish to give spit out coins to pay the taxes. Jesus, send some fish my way. Pay the taxes. Mark 4, he stilled the wind and the waves. He, he, had a, he spoke to a storm and it became peace. The disciples were afraid they were going to drown and they were going to sink. But he brought peace in the midst of the storm. But he did, it was a literal storm that he calmed through a prophetic declaration because he knew who he was. Luke 5, supernatural fishing. Throw your nets on the other side. He made fish appear. And then he did it again. In John 21, more supernatural fishing. I guess Jesus really is kind of like quasi-fisherman. Likes that fish. You know, Matthew 21, he cursed the fig tree. A simple word, he cursed a tree that was bore no fruit. That's a message. John 2, he turned water into wine. He changed the physical chemical components of water into wine. He made H2O into a dash OH, which is alcohol in chemistry. I have a degree in it, so I like that stuff. Matthew 14, he multiplied food. He created matter where matter didn't exist. He completely violated um, uh, the second law of nature, where matter is neither created nor destroyed, it just is. He completely violated it. Guess they're not really laws. They're guidelines. Just like the stop signs in Maryland with the white borders, those are optional. I don't know if you knew that. Yeah. And Chicago, that's where I grew up. So, John 20, Jesus walked through walls. I'm waiting for that. Teleportation is biblical. And he appeared. It's in the Bible. I'm not making this up. Acts 1, he flew. I've heard the stories from medieval times with monks that were doing, I mean, you can read about some of that. I don't know. Maybe it's all fiction. Maybe it's not. But Jesus flew. And if he can fly, why not me? <laughs> so, all that to illustrate is the way Jesus lived his life as a fully human, yielded to the Holy Spirit, was a supernatural life. And we are invited into the same thing. We are invited into that supernatural lifestyle where we bring heaven's solutions to earthly problems. It still happens today. I mean, I, in reality, my opinion is that we as a church, we just don't really believe. Our biggest issue in, our, in the church today is unbelief. We just don't believe the gospel is that good. 
that this is like God's heart and his desire, that he can multiply stuff out of nothing, and that he wants to pour it into our lives as his children, because for some reason that's just too good. But he's a good father. I mean, he is so good. He is more good than we can even hope to imagine, which is an amazing thing. But that's how much he loves us. And he empowers us through the coming of Holy Spirit to live like Christ. The goal of our Christian life, the goal of sanctification and um, uh, justification is that we would become more like Christ. So if Jesus is the model, he is the prototype, then that's what our expectation should be. It shouldn't be anything less. It's the enemy who tries us to believe anything less. That's, those are lies. We need to raise our level of expectation. You know, I was talking to Adam uh, yesterday. Uh, this is an aside. But one of the things I love to do is the village crusade in Africa, the mountain crusade, where you have just a few hundred people in a village that shows up. And we always see some of the most incredible miracles and breakthroughs in those areas because those are areas that are never visited. And so when, when we come, and I'm, I'm, just, I'm just a son, okay? But when, when, they, when we come, they, they, they see the man of God coming, and they have a gratefulness, and they have a thankfulness that God has remembered them that this, quote, international ministry is coming to their little village on Mount Kilimanjaro to come preach the gospel. And so that raises their faith and expectation of what's possible, along with the gratefulness and thankfulness draws heaven down. And that's where we see incredible things happen. When we were up in Moa, a mile up on Mount Kilimanjaro in Chaga land, we were at a Lutheran church. I get along with, I speak Lutheran. So I get, we're in with the Lutheran church. It's great. So... You want to speak Lutheran, learn your creeds, learn the confession of sins, learn the liturgy, and then you can speak Lutheran too, and then you can preach in all the churches of Kilimanjaro. (laughs) And so we were up there, and um, I remember at the time, uh, I was really first time getting to know a pastor there named Pastor Macha, and I'm with Doug Johnson, who's my spiritual father. A couple people in here know who Doug is. Uh, Doug's a little out of control. Uh, I'm a little out of control like him. I just manifest it differently in a more reserved manner. Um, and so I remember how uncomfortable Pastor Macho was, this, this Tanzanian Chaga Lutheran pastor who invited us to his church, and within 10 minutes he was, uh, he was regretting that decision. Because we're just shikababaing, you know, you know, we're just out of control. We love Jesus. We've already seen the Lord do amazing things. And, um, and I just saw the look of terror in his face. And so, but he's stuck. He invited us. He can't go back. And so, um, so we do a crusade up there. We do house-to-house evangelism in the morning, hut-to-hut. We're walking through the banana fields. It's, I mean, it's amazing. It's like classic Africa missions, right? And... Um, we do a crusade, and it's like a, it's like a little village crusade. We're using the grounds at the Lutheran Church. Have about 400, 500 people show up. And um, I remember um, a variety of stories there. There's many cool stories. Um, there was a young lady who was known to the village. She was the witch doctor's daughter. Her name was Rosie. 
And she literally walked around like a zombie, like completely out of it. She couldn't do anything. She didn't talk. She had a stupor on her, and she was literally like a living zombie. And so Pastor Matcha told us, don't bother praying for her. Nothing will work. Because Pastor Matcha hadn't experienced anything yet. Yet. Okay? So they tried with whatever they had, and nothing happened. So what happens? Doug spends two 15-minute sessions with her, and she gets saved, delivered, healed, and baptized in the Holy Ghost. She's up front worshiping Jesus and dancing. And it was a sign and a wonder to the whole village and to Pastor Macha. And then after that, everything was open. We saw ladies with broken legs healed. She had bro- one lady was cursed for nine years with broken legs. Like, we're up on a mountain. That's like witchcraft land. So, like, there's stuff you may not believe, but it's real. I'm just telling you right now. I've seen it all except the head go 360. I've seen levitation. I've seen a whole bunch of stuff. I got stories I don't even tell people because people wouldn't believe it. You won't even believe it. So there's some of them I won't even tell you. Got witch doctors transforming into creatures, and then they encounter God and die in the attic of pastors' houses. Then they smell bad, and they figure out what died up there, and some creature they can't identify. Because the witch doctor tried to curse my pastor friend. God had a different plan. You can throw me out later. But if you throw me out, you probably have to throw your pastor out. So, but this lady, nine years, cursed with broken legs, God delivered her and healed, and I got her on video dancing. Right? There's a gal with a tumor on her wrist like this. I had a 24-year-old young man on there, works for the CIA now. But he, God told him, take a picture. So he took a picture first. And then he prayed for her. We go down to eat lunch, and like 15 minutes later, she's just like, we hear the shrieking, right? (laughs) To me, I'm like, I just want to eat lunch. I don't want to do deliverance. (laughs) So we go outside, and there's this lady freaking out. And we go look at her wrist, and the tumor's completely gone. And I have before and after pictures on my computer from that. That's supernatural. That's taking matter that existed and either transforming it or eliminating it, violating the laws of nature. Thank you, Jesus. We are supernatural people because the Spirit of God is inside of us. All things are possible for those who believe. Greater things than these shall you do. As he was, so shall you be. See, Pentecost took us back to the garden, took us back to the original plan. Now the disciples, the sons and daughters of God, gather in one accord in unity. Unity was restored. They're gathered. We are gathered now in obedience to God instead of disobedience. And we're filled with the Holy Spirit. It's no longer we who live. Now he lives through us. And so now we can speak in other tongues, but we also speak the one language in the spirit. We're united again with a common language. We're united again with a common culture, a kingdom culture. That's right. Now in one day, 3,000 people get saved. 
We have a common kingdom language, a transformed people yielding to God's spirit, transforming culture, transforming this planet. So that's who we are. So with that, let's go back to Ecclesia. Knowing that, you are my Ecclesia. You are my citizens of heaven. And I have imbued you with authority, anointing, and power to bring the culture of the kingdom of God, to bring the culture of heaven and manifest and transform the earth. This is who we are. This is what we do. It's not about a church building. This is the thing we learned with COVID. This is what I've been telling my African pastors. What happened during COVID should never happen again. Where church culture was centered around a building. And if you're a Marvel person, Asgard is not a place, it's a people. To borrow something from Marvel. Church is not a place, it's a people. We are a people. And people can never be shut down. So that's what I'm working with my African pastors, because in Rwanda, they were shut down for four months, no service. And then a whole nother year, you could only meet for one hour a week. It had to, yep, I had to buy a bunch of hand-washing sinks to get at least seven, eight churches open. And I'm working with pastors to let other congregations use their churches so that they could uh, start up again. There was a lot we were doing behind the scenes just to get some of the church functioning again because they had an old model and an old understanding um, that is no longer relevant for today. So that's putting part of my message is we have to change everything because that can never happen again. The church should never, ever, 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 ever be shut down again for any reason. Because the church is a people. It's an ecclesia, imbued with authority and power and anointing to transform nations, disciple them, and make it heaven on earth. What does that look like? Here's a few scriptures. Let's, let's tie it in with some scriptures. We'll make it really legal now. Because I'm Lutheran, so we've got to have enough scriptures in the message. <laughs> or it's not legal. Proverbs 29.2. When the righteous increase, the people rejoice. But when a wicked man rules, the people groan. I'm not going to say anything, but I know a lot of us are thinking it. Because I don't want to offend anybody. But we'll just smile and nod. Right? A lot of groaning going on here in our nation, and around the world. Yeah. Where are the righteous? Come on. That gets into eschatology, but we're not going to go there. I talked about it yesterday. Watch the message from yesterday. Proverbs 28, 12. When the righteous triumph, there is great glory. But when the wicked rise, men hide themselves. If you believe in Jesus... You have been justified. That word justified means he has proclaimed you righteous because you have taken on Christ. You are clothed with Christ. Your sins are washed away. He's not relating to you anymore according to your sin. That's the power of the new covenant and the gospel. He's relating to you according to his son. You're no longer reaping what you have sown. You're reaping what he has sown. 
Proverbs 11.10. When it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices. And when the wicked perish, there is glad shouting. It's in the Bible. I'm sad when the wicked perish because they perish and not know Jesus, but I'm also rejoiced when the wicked perish because oppression gets lifted. I think about like guys like when Idi Amin died. That was a good day. If you don't know who that is, you can read your history books. You know. Yes. Proverbs eleven eleven. By the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted, but by the mouth of the wicked, it is torn down. You see, these proverbs are scriptures, and it gives us an idea of our call and our role in this world. As the righteous, when we reign, when we come into positions of influence and power and use it in a godly manner, to release blessing on the earth. The cities are exalted. People rejoice. But if we don't take those positions of power and authority for whatever reason, because Jesus is coming back tomorrow, or any other stupid reason, then we cede those areas to the wicked. And then they rule and reign according to the kingdom they're a part of, which releases oppression. And the people groan. There is no justice in the land. That's right. Come on. But God said, rule and subdue the earth. Fill it. That's the original commission to his children. And so we need to be back about our father's business, not our own. So we need to start raising a generation. You know, we lost a generation of influence really because of bad eschatology. And I'm not going to break it all down here, but I, I mentioned it more yesterday. Yes. We wanted everyone to be pastors and missionaries and evangelists so we can get everyone saved and Jesus can return. But that's not the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom is discipling nations. Yeah. And that takes time, talent, energy, treasure, and it takes years to disciple people. Yes. Years. 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 I know. Yep. I've been discipled. I'm still being discipled. Yep. Now I'm discipling five little kids. My goodness. <laughs> God is a gracious and merciful God. <laughs> I have no idea how we all survive childhood. Yeah. No idea. I know why some lions eat their young. <laughs> I get it. I totally get it. I don't judge them anymore. <laughs> but when the righteous reign, the righteous triumph. And that releases blessings on the earth. And that's where we find the fulfillment to the prophecy of Abraham, that through his seed, all nations will be blessed. Yes, Christ is the main fulfillment of that, but we are in Christ. And so we should be a blessing on the earth everywhere we go. Be able to rule and reign with the mind of Christ, with the love of God, that should transform people and nations.
And so we need to get back to being about our Father's business. Wherever God has positioned us is your mission. It is your sphere of authority, and you are a supernatural son or daughter of God imbued with his authority, with his power, with his anointing to bring transformation wherever you go. Because like I said yesterday, you are the place where heaven meets earth. God's spirit, heaven, your flesh of the earth. God is tabernacling inside of you now. So you are the intersection between heaven and earth. And so wherever you go, you bring that intersection. Just like Jesus did. And that's how we answer the groanings of creation we find in Romans 8. Creation is groaning. For what? For you to be revealed. So that its subjection to slavery and decay would no longer exist. So creation could be transformed. So creation can be reborn. There's a whole lot more happening at the cross and resurrection of Jesus than our ticket to heaven. It's about all of creation being reborn. Not just humans. Everything. Let's dream about that. What would that look like? Maybe we should be a little more environmental if you're on that side of things. <laughs> I know, my, I, I'll be honest, as I've come under the influence of the kingdom, I'm more cognizant of that. Yep, yep. recycling is a good thing. Yep, conservation. Yep. Because we're not going to get another planet Earth. This is the one we got. That's right. Yep. Adam can unpack the rest of that for you. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm going to have to do a lot of messages to fix all this. But what did Jesus say to his disciples? All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Now, therefore, go. That's a transference of authority. That's a transference of commission. Right? So now we are his ambassadors. What's an ambassador? An ambassador is one who is sent to a foreign country to represent the king or the ruler and to bring their values and to bring their ideas to the place where they are sent. Yep. And as an ambassador, you have authority on behalf of the king. So we are all ambassadors here on planet Earth. So you have authority. Whether you feel it or not. Whether you're having Holy Ghost goosebumps or not. Some of the greatest miracles I have seen when I have felt nothing. And I'm tired, I'm cranky, I just want to eat dinner, I've been praying for people for three hours. I mean, I remember I was in Connellsville, PA. I ministered to people for two hours after service. Last lady comes forward. I'm tired, I want to go to lunch. I know we're going to have a good lunch. Pastor there was really big, so I knew we were going to eat well. I mean, he was like 6'8", so I mean, he was big. He was kind of mountain of a man. <laughs> Lady comes forward, and I'm tired. I don't feel the anointing anymore. We've seen God do great things. I'm done. She comes forward, and she got tears in her eyes. And so right there, I'm like, okay, I need to refocus. I'm going to align myself one more time. I'm just align myself, step in. It's that easy. Just step in. And she's like, my marriage is on the rocks. My husband doesn't love me. 
It's miserable. It's horrible. I've had everyone pray for this situation that I could, every itinerant that's come in and nothing's happened. So right there, she that's raises my level of faith. I'm yeah. encouraged. <laughs> I'm encouraged. And I know who he's had come through that church. So I know the type of people who have prayed. I know some of them. I honor them. I esteem them greatly. And so I'm just like, all right. I said, well, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Now is the acceptable time. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1. That's like a verse I'm always motivated by. Every moment is a holy moment unto the Lord, whether you feel it or not. That's why all things are possible every time, because every moment's holy unto the Lord. There's no sacred and secular. Get rid of that. Yep. That's thinking, thinking. That's dualism. Yeah. No dualism allowed in biblical thought. That's right. All right? We can hold multiple truths together at the same time. That's how it works. Yep. So I'm like, okay, well, we're going to pray, and, you know, I really believe today's day of breakthrough for you. And I'm sure she's heard that a hundred times. But it's still the truth. Yep. So I pray. Nothing, you know, it's not like I'm feeling Holy Ghost goosebumps. You know, I'm praying in faith. I'm praying in authority. I'm not feeling the anointing, so I pray in authority. If you're not in the anointing, pray with authority, because authority is real. You don't have to always feel it. So, anyway, so she goes home. She cries a little bit. So she goes home, and here's the rest of the story. So when she walks into home, she walks into the kitchen through the back door. Her husband has been waiting for her sitting at the kitchen table. And he's got tears in his eyes, and he gets up, and he looks at her and he says, I'm sorry. Wow. I'm sorry I have not loved you. Wow. And so the first time in four years they kiss. That's one thing she told me. They had, she hadn't had a kiss from her husband in four years. But today is the day of salvation. Yeah, I'm just going to tell some stories. I mean, we're here. I don't know when I'm coming back. I'm going back to Africa, so it'll at least be a few years before I come back. So I got the mic, so we're good. There's no screaming over there. My son's not hollering, so I'm good. I remember when I was in Brazil. This is before I was a missionary to Africa. I've been in Africa 15 years. In 2006, I went to Brazil twice with Randy Clark, and that's where I learned a lot in the spirit, uh, healing, deliverance. And I remember um, um, in April of 2006, we're doing four days of meetings at this church. Got a couple thousand people there. It's packed out. And God's doing amazing things. And there was a uh, gentleman there who had been in a wheelchair for eight years. He had a stroke. Um, and so, you know, we're all filled with raw faith on the team. It was a small team. We had about 13 people. Randy wasn't even on the trip. We had Tom Rotulo and Tom Jones. We had the, we had the B team at the time. <laughs> no, I say that because I love you, Tom. Tom's a friend of mine. And uh, now he's on the A team. He's been promoted. He's, he's in the starting five. <laughs> and so, um, so anyway, so like uh, I remember the first day we had some team members go over. They lay hands and they pray for an hour for this guy. Nothing happens. So the second day I'm there with my buddy Chris. And so we're like, it's our turn. We're going to go. We're going to see this guy get up and healed. And so we go over, lay our hands. And nothing happens. Now, he's, he's believing. Like, every 10 minutes, he's trying to get up and walk. Like, he is trying to put action to this faith. Because all around us, we're seeing miracles. People are getting healed. All sorts of amazing things. Visible miracles are happening. Nothing happens on the second night. So third night, he's back again. 
I have a whole message that's built out of this on perseverance and positioning yourself to receive the kingdom. Just like that lady, even though she had four years of prayer and no breakthrough, she kept positioning herself for a breakthrough, and then it finally came. Just like the guy at the pool of Bethesda who was there for years in his crippled state. 38 years. He kept positioning himself so that he could get a touch from the angel of the Lord until one day someone greater than an angel showed up. I would have given up. I'm just being honest. I would have said, I'm going home. I'm going to die. <laughs> hey, I'm just being real. We can all be spiritual, but you all know you do the same thing. I just admit it because I'm honest. <laughs> so what happens? Third night, more people pray for him. Nothing happens. So by that time, the whole team had prayed for him over those three days, and nothing had happened. But God is still doing amazing things there. So we recognize God is moving. People are getting saved, delivered, healed, all sorts of amazing things happening. Blind eyes are opening. Deaf ears are opening. Other lame people are walking, seeing all sorts of creative eye miracles. It's amazing. So the fourth day, it's now packed out because God's been doing so much. we got people just spilling out the back. I mean, they have now there's a whole line of wheelchairs. It's not just one guy in a wheelchair. we got like seven or eight wheelchairs over here. And so there's only 13 of us, and we got about 2,500 people to pray for. So we're all lined up across the front, and literally, we all have about 50 people in line. That one-on-one. We're doing one-on-ones. So I was like, you know, it's like, get your Snickers bar. We're there for four hours. You know. So I'm over here. He's over there. I see him. I recognize him. I'm over here. I'm ministering to people. And God's doing things. People are getting healed. It's, it's awesome. Like it's, like it's like heaven. It's like, you know, you're just like, you know, you're just like, step right up. It's your turn now. Bing. <coughs> and so there's a lady here standing here. And she's not really in prayer, but she's just standing around us, a younger lady. Um, and uh, she's just there. Now, I've, at that time, I'd been in enough meetings and years since I know what's happening when all of a sudden the people's eyes go big and they start crushing forward. Okay? And so that's what started to happen. They start crushing forward. And this lady, all of a sudden, she loses it. She grabs me by this arm because she's right there and she's shaking it, screaming, going, How do you get Well, it's Portuguese. I can't. Only know mice fogu now. That's all I remember from Portuguese. Yeah, mice fogu. And so, um, so she's doing that, and I'm trying to minister to somebody while she's doing that. I'm trying to stay focused, and so then I was like, "Hey, we need to stop for a moment, because everyone's crushing forward." So like, I know something amazing is happening behind me, and I'm now I'm distracted. I can't focus. I'm like, "Hold on a second, let's figure out what's happening." So I turn around. And this guy is walking across the whole, the whole front without any help. This was his daughter who had not seen her dad walk in six years. And she was flipping out. She didn't need deliverance. Because that's what I first thought. Because sometimes it's hard to tell. I'm just being honest. You're like, is that the Lord? Is that not... It's hard to tell sometimes, when you, especially when you're in a foreign country, because, you know, you can't understand the language. So they're, you know, sometimes in Africa, I do, when the demon starts cussing us in English, 
in a village where the person doesn't know English, that happens. Yep. Then I know. Yep. That's easy. <laughs> Come on a trip with us sometime. Yeah. And so, um, so anyway, so he was completely healed. You know who prayed for him? Three Brazilian teenagers, high schoolers, raw faith. They didn't know about their, you know, we had the anointed men and women of God had all prayed for him the three days prior. They didn't care. They had raw faith. They had seen God move and said, let's step into this. So they positioned themselves and he received. That's Romans 8. They heard the groan of creation and they positioned themselves in the middle of it and brought a heavenly solution to a significantly earthly problem. That's what Romans 8 is all about. Yeah. That's what we're invited into. He justifies us and he glorifies us. And when he glorifies us, that glory touches everywhere else we go. Excellent. So that all things become possible. Excellent. So that heaven comes to earth and earth begins to look like heaven. Yeah. And we change the culture everywhere around us. This is what we're called to. Doesn't matter where you're at. Before I was a missionary, I was a businessman. I worked in the North American branch of an international spice and seasoning company. So if you want to know anything about spices, I can tell you. It's all in my head still. But the people at work knew who I was. I didn't preach to them. I lived a, I lived a life. They knew I believed in Jesus. But I wasn't one of those annoying Christians that's always preaching at people. I was friends with people. Friend of sinners, just like Jesus. They go to happy hour, I went to happy hour with them. Ministered to a lady. She had had an abortion at 18, regretted it for 20 years, lived in shame and horror. And at the bar in a TGI Fridays for 20 minutes with adult beverages all around us, I ministered and she got healed. I'd like to see a Pharisee do that. Oh no, that place will make me unclean. No, everywhere I go, I make it clean. That's the gospel. That's what Jesus showed. In the Old Testament, you touched the leper, you became unclean. In the New Testament, Jesus touched the leper and it, he was cleansed. That's who we are. Things are possible. We're his ecclesia, imbued with authority, power, and anointing to transform our worlds, to make them look like heaven. This is who you are. This is who you're called to be. So... Let's step into that because God is with you. Amen. He will never leave you nor forsake you. You pray for someone they don't get healed, pray for the next one. Don't stop just because someone doesn't get healed because you don't know the whole story. That's right. Don't stop. That guy wasn't supposed to be healed by Chris and I. It was those three teenage boys. They're changed for life. They will never deny that. I'd love to know what they're doing today. Maybe they're pastoring three churches and leading thousands to Jesus. Who knows? It's possible. We just need to be faithful and obedient to what God has called us and what he has put in front of us. Because sometimes people just need to be loved in that moment as God's weaving a trail. Because God sees the end point, right? We may be right here with this person and we want to see them healed right here, but they're not quite ready. But we need to be faithful to step out and sow that seed because one person sows seed, another waters, and another harvests. 
See, God sees the whole story from beginning to end. And so he's right. We're right here with this person. And yeah, they may not say yes to Jesus in this moment, but that's one time closer to when they say yes over here. And that excites the heart of the father because he knows it's coming. We just need to be faithful and be about his business. Don't worry about the results. It's not our responsibility. It's not our glory when people are healed. And it's not our unglory or non-glory when they're not. We don't carry any of it. It's all the Lord's. So that frees us up to be who God's called us to be. It's not your fault if someone doesn't get healed. And it's not your fault if they do get healed. That's the Lord. We just need to position ourselves in places where creation is groaning, where there's chaos, where a breakthrough needs to be made because we're the ones called to stand in the gap and bring that breakthrough. But if we don't do that, how will they have that breakthrough? How will they hear if no one is sent? That's right. And God has sent you wherever you are. You are his ambassador. You are the ones who are sent to your classrooms, to your offices, to your families, to your schools, to your church. Yes, Lord, help me, Father. Sometimes it is scary, but we got to get out of the comfort zone. It's in the places of vulnerability and uncomfortableness that I see the greatest breakthroughs of God. So maybe that means sitting in my nice, sitting on the mud in my nice clean pants, getting them all dirty, holding someone so that they get free and set free from the enemy. Maybe it means I hold a crying mom as hope is restored and she snots all over my shirt. (laughs) Happens all the time. I love it. I love it. So I always have a spare shirt in my car to drive home with. Just being honest. It's uncomfortable at times, but it's worth it all. Because that's the eternal fruit. That's the fruit that remains, that will follow us into eternity. And then we'll see how the whole picture fits together. Thanks for listening to the Rescue Church podcast. For more information, visit rescuechurch.tv slash invite.